Are you honest with God? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author and pastor-teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of 1 John 1.9, Pastor Charles will outline the place of Christian confessions and the practice of confession. Today's message, Being Honest with God. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. 1 John chapter 1. So, as a young Christian, I struggled at prayer. I still struggle at prayer. But I was helped very early on when I was taught um, guides for prayer, prompts for prayer, if you will. One of the basic prompts for prayer I was taught as a young Christian is called the Acts of Prayer, A-C-T-S. This helped me because a lot of my prayers were real simple prayers. Our Father, give me, <laughs> right? Uh, our Father, do this or fix that. And this little outline, the acts of prayer, has helped me to, to process how I address God in prayer. A stands for adoration, beginning your prayers with worship. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. And then S, supplication, presenting your needs to the Lord. And over the years, even with that outline, in church I heard a lot about adoration and thanksgiving and even supplication, but not a lot about confession. And in our last midweek service for the year tonight, I want to challenge you to end the year turning up the fire in your prayer life. But more specifically, I want to challenge you in a specific area about the prayer of confession. And the best place that I know of, one of the best places, is a very simple statement in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Indulge me tonight. It's one verse. Let's read it together. Ready? Read. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to label the message tonight, being honest with God. Being honest with God. In 1996, a thief stole $307 from a jack-in-the-box fast food joint in Oroville, California. The manager, Thomas Martin, called the police, made a report, and even provided a description of the perpetrator to sketch artist Jack Lee. In fact, Lee was impressed that Martin was able to give such a detailed description of the suspect. But when he finished the drawing and set his pad down, he looked up and noticed there were a lot of similarities between the suspect and the victim, which caused them to ask more questions until finally Thomas Martin confessed to the police that he himself had stolen the $307 from his own restaurant. How do you describe your sins and shortcomings to God? Do you lie, 
shifting blame, pointing fingers, making excuses, or are you honest with God? Those are the only two options we have for dealing with the sinful thoughts, words, and deeds in our lives. Either you can lie about it or you can be honest with God. Most organizations intentionally try to fill their organizations with good people. In contrast, the church requires that you confess you are a sinner before you can be a member. (laughs) The church is not made up of good people. The church is made up of bad people who who have been saved from their sins by a good God. Yet, interestingly enough, even though by, by the fact that we come to church, we acknowledge we are sinners, yet still professing Christians are still prone to lie about our sins. Look at the, the text. Verse 6 suggests that some of us can lie to others about our sin. If we save, verse 6 says, we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You can lie to others about your sin or you can lie to yourself about your sin. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Worse, you can lie to God about your sins. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you are not honest with your sins, not only do you lie to God, you call God a liar. Because God has called all of us sinners. In this passage, we are reminded that it is both foolish and futile to lie about our sins. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. That's the good news of the text that I want you to leave with tonight. We're going to talk a lot about sin tonight, but the, the message really is good news. You've heard it before. I hope you'll believe it and embrace it. Confession is good for the soul. I want to suggest to you tonight, no, I want to, I want to declare to you tonight that your life can literally change for the better tonight. If you would just tell God like it is. What does that look like? First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's where we'll hang our hat for the night. I want you to see from this verse the place the practice, and the power of Christian confession. Let's start with the place of Christian confession. What role does confession have in the life of the believer? The sentence here in verse 9 rests on the first clause of the verse, if we confess our sins. That word, if, that begins verse 9 is in what is called the third class condition. In the New Testament, if you see the word if, it falls into one of three categories or classes. In the first class condition, if assumes that the statement is true. In the second class condition, if 
assumes the statement is not true. Like 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17 that says, if Christ has not risen from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The third class condition, what we find here in our verse, is a real condition. No assumptions. It means here, maybe you will or maybe you won't. It's up to you. That's significant. Confession of sin is an act of free will. God will not make you confess. You must choose to confess. When we have sinned, when we have transgressed, when we have disobeyed, we have a choice. We can be honest with God or we can lie. And your choice tells on you. I hope you keep your Bibles open tonight. Notice verse 5. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is what? Light and in him there is no darkness at all. Light here is a metaphor for holiness. To say God is light is to say he is holy and righteous and pure. And to say that there is no darkness, literally no speck of darkness in God whatsoever, suggests that there is no thing undefiled in God. Now, after that statement about God in verse 5, look at the statement in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, all of 1 John is about what it means to have fellowship with God by faith in Christ. In this letter, John wants to expose those who have false assurance who are walking in a false assurance of salvation and he wants to affirm those who are truly walking with God in verse 6 he confronts those who are talking the talk but not walking the walk look at it again if we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth so God God is light he says and if God is light, you cannot be walking with God if you are playing in the dark. You got you to gotta be in the light with God. How do you do that? Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins verse 7 is significant because it, it says to us that walking with God does not require moral perfection you don't have to be morally perfect to walk with God in fact verse 8 rebukes those who say they have no sin verse 10 rebukes those who say they have not sinned and so, to walk with God, you don't have to be sinlessly perfect. But what he is saying here, he's talking to believers. He is saying here that you, you do have to deal with your sin if you are going to walk in the light with God. And he is saying here, that if you are a Christian and you sin, in order to walk with God who is light, you got to confess your sins and bring them into the light rather than trying to hide them in the dark. If you just bring your sins to the light and give them to God, verse 7 says, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all of your sins. So we are being reminded here in verse 9 that confession is a necessary part of the Christian life. You can't walk with God unless you bring your sin into the light with God so he can 
cleanse you of them by the blood of Jesus. We are reminded here of what Romans 3 verse 23 says. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. Some of us are unforgiven sinners. Others of us are saved sinners. But all of us are sinners nonetheless. And the question is, how do Christians act? How should Christians respond when they sin? Verse 9 is the answer, but listen to what the answer is. When a Christian sins, the solution is confession, not conversion. You missed it. I got to say that again. When a Christian sins, you do not need to get saved all over again. Oh, Lord, have mercy. First John chapter 5 verse 12 tells us very simply who is and who is not getting to heaven. First John chapter 5 verse 12 says this. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so when you sin as a Christian, you don't need to be born again, again, again. But you do need to be honest with God. So that the blood of Jesus can... And cleanse you. You see, um, when 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 you run to the cross and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are qualified for heaven as God gives what is called judicial forgiveness. God the Judge forgives your sin by the blood of Jesus. Judicial forgiveness. But on your way from earth to heaven, there will be many times when you need parental forgiveness. Do you get that? Do you get the difference? Um, parents, when, you, when your children mess up, you send them to their room. You don't kick them out the house. Hello. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Golly, I was way down yonder by myself and couldn't hear nobody praying. Um, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> when, when, when a Christian sins, God doesn't kick you out the family. But, but he will discipline you so that he can cleanse you and build you. And restore you. I need to, to move on. But I need you to see this. In Psalm 32. Because God can't offer that parental. You see church. As a Christian when you sin. You cannot lose your salvation. Let me tell you what eternal life is. Eternal. And if eternal life is not eternal, I want you to hear this. This is a big statement. If eternal life is not eternal, then the word of God is meaningless. Words mean nothing in the Bible. If its biggest term, eternal life, can't be trusted. When a Christian sins, you do not lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. Hold on to one John and go left to the book of Psalms. There are two great Psalms about how to deal with sin. One is Psalm 51. The other is Psalm 32. I mean, let me show you something in Psalm 32. Psalm 51 is David's confession to God for his sin with Bathsheba. Psalm 32 is him looking back, thanking God for answering his prayer in Psalm 51. 
Psalm 32 is a prayer of thanksgiving for the forgiveness of sin. Look at Psalm 32. I, I could quote it to you, but I want to read it. and I want you to see it so that you can lay eyes on it for yourself. David is confessing about what happened in a period of at least a year when he wouldn't be honest with God about his sin. He was lying. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. David is saying when he would not come clean with God, guilt was, was affecting him spiritually, physically, emotionally, and even psychologically. Please give me freedom to say this. I'm, I want to be very careful. There are legitimate needs psychologically and physically that we need help treatment for. But I am convinced that there are some illnesses people struggle with, depression people struggle with, physical and psychological issues that are not rooted in physical or psychological issues, but are rooted in unresolved guilt. David says here, I started getting sick and old before my time because I wouldn't tell God the truth. And sometimes if you're not careful, doctors can prescribe medication that just hides the guilt. And you're never getting better because you, you, you're not dealing with the, the basic spiritual issue. And, and, and the spiritual issue is this. I'm not trying to be deep tonight. I'm just trying to tell you the point of Psalm 32 is this. If you don't deal with your guilt, your guilt will deal with you. Guilt will keep you up at night. Guilt will make you lose your appetite. Guilt, guilt will affect you physically. Guilt will steal your joy. Look at verse 5, though, in Psalm 32, and I'm going back to where I was. David says, but something happened in my life. Let me tell you what happened. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The difference in his life came when he was honest with God. And this is what 1 John 1 and 9 is bidding us to do, to confess our sins. In fact, it's in the grammatical emphasis that says this, if you keep on confessing. Let me tell you now, every day in my prayer, every day, I ask the Lord to forgive me for my sin, specific, and my sinfulness. Just not the stuff I say and do. But it's all kind of stuff in me just waiting for the opportunity to mess up. Y'all not listening to me here. Saul Spurgeon said that the Christian must never leave off repenting. For I fear the Christian never leaves off sinning. Confession of sin is to be a way of life in the Christian life. But not only do I want you to see the place of confession, I want you to see the practice of confession. How in practical terms should you confess your sins to God? The word confess translates a Greek word that simply means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. That's all confession is. It is to say the same thing God says about your sin. Every other place the term, Greek term is used, it refers to confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
Here, uniquely, it is referring to the confession of sin, but the meaning of the word is the same, even though the context is different. To be saved, you got to confess Jesus, saying the same thing about Jesus that God says about him. But here he says, in order to be forgiven, you also got to say the same thing God says about your sin. What does it mean then to confess our sins in practical terms? Let me offer four things to help you, four practices to help you confess your sins to God. Number one, if you're going to confess your sin, you must take personal responsibility. Take personal responsibility. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sins in the garden, and then God goes to Adam and says to Adam why did you do this you remember what Adam said right wasn't me wasn't me it was that woman you gave me and then he went to the woman and said why did you do this and you'll never guess what she said she said it wasn't me It was the serpent who deceived me. And we have inherited from our four parents, Adam and Eve, the tendency to shift blame, make excuses, and avoid responsibility. I, uh, many years ago, bought a book of sermons just for the title. The title of the book is Lord, I have sinned, subtitle, but I have several very good excuses. That's how we are. But if you're going to confess your sins, you got to take personal responsibility. You can't blame other people. You can't blame your environment. You can't blame your parents. Or your family. You can't blame the persons who hurt you. You can't blame the devil. You've got to take responsibility for your own sin. I'm troubled the rise of the Neo-Pentecostalism and charismatic and word faith started teaching the spirit of everything. So we start blaming our sin on the spirit of whatever, spirit of love. No, it wasn't no spirit. It was you. It was me. We did it. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, each one is tempted when we are lured away and enticed by our own desires. Each of us are tempted when we are lured away and enticed by our own desires. You know what that means? It means that temptation is not producing anything in us. It's sinful desire in me that's just waiting on a good opportunity. can't blame other people if you're taking notes you should write down this big statement i'm about to tell you it has helped me over the years my past may explain me but it does not excuse me my past may explain me but it does not excuse me i can't be looking back and finding things to fault for what i am not doing right now In obedience to God, I must take personal responsibility. Number two, if you're going to confess your sins, you must take personal responsibility. Y'all hang in there with me. I promise it'll get better. (laughs) Number two, be specific. So, West, the college freshman wrapped up all his dirty clothes, tied it up in a bundle in a sweatshirt, to go down to the dorm laundry room because he was embarrassed about how dirty his clothes were. He tied up the sweatshirt, 
tightly so none of the clothes would fall out. Went to the laundry room and put the bundle in the washing machine. Put the bundle in the dryer. Took the bundle back to his room and opened it up and guess what? The clothes were still dirty. And you have not come clean with God until you are specific with God about your sin and call it what it is. It's not real confession when I say, you know, at the end of the day, Lord, forgive me for all my sins that I may have done today. No, no, no. It doesn't work. It does not work if you sin retail but confess wholesale. You, you need to be specific with God about the thing you thought, about the thing you said, about the thing that you did, and call sin by its name. In fact, church, this is the way to tell the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusations of the devil. The devil just wants to generally accuse you of being bad. He wants you to feel bad about who you are, what you've done, what you have not done. He doesn't want to specify because he doesn't want you to find a way to fix it. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he convicts us because he's trying to help us get right with God. And he places his finger on the specific sin and says, HB, you should not have said that. You should not have done that. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. says, godly sorrow leads to repentance that produces salvation without regret. But the sorrow of this world produces nothing but death. I don't have time to linger there. But remember, during Holy Week, Peter and Judas let Jesus down. Guilt made Judas commit suicide. Peter came back to Jesus and was honest about what he did and was restored and got to preach on Pentecost. <laughs> Be specific. I know you're not going to shout on this part of stuff, but uh, am I at least making sense tonight? All right, all right. Take personal responsibility. Be specific. And then thirdly, repent. How about that word? When the last time you heard that word? Repent. It's a common word Jesus used often, repent. You know what repent means? The Greek word repent means a change of mind. A change, it means to change your mind. But, but there are implications here because this change of mind will produce a change of attitude. If your mind has changed about your sin, your attitude will change about your sin. That's where you need to get Psalm 51 in your system. Where David models for us in Psalm 51, godly sorrow over sin. You're not truly repentant if you feel good about your sin. There must be a sense of godly sorrow as we confess our sins to God. And, 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 and it doesn't stop there. A, a change of mind leads to a change of attitude. And the change of attitude will lead to a change of behavior. <laughs> Repentance is not just being sorry for your sins. It's being sorry enough to quit. 
Let me tell you how I talk about repentance regularly when we gather for worship. Let me tell you how I speak of it in this simple way. Repentance is about making U-turns in your life. You are going the wrong way. You see you are headed toward a dead end. What do you do? You turn around. That's all repentance is. Repentance is when I acknowledge God, I was wrong, you were right, and I stopped going my way and I start going God's way. Take personal responsibility, be specific, repent. Here's the fourth practice for confession. Do it quickly. Listen, don't wait for all your sins to pile up before you confess. Don't wait to get to Sunday to get right with God. Whenever and wherever the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin right there, sometimes in the middle of a phone conversation, you need to put that person on hold and say, Lord, I know I shouldn't be talking about this. Please forgive me for being in this conversation. Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah says there's a time when God can be found and there's a time when God cannot be found. When can God not be found? I don't know and I don't want to know. That's the point of that warning. When you sin, don't, don't play around in sin. Keep short accounts with God. Thirdly, and quickly, we're at some good news. The rest of the verse is about the power of confession. John Stott was right. There are many warnings about the danger of concealed sin in Scripture and many promises about the blessings of confession. That is what we find in 1 John 1 and 9. 1 John 1 and 9 is really about the benefits of confession, the power of confession. Look at the text again. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins to other people, there is no guarantee how they will respond. But even if you can guarantee that they will not condemn you when you confess, no human that you confess to could ever forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. Only God can do that. Wait, you clap too fast because the text is saying not only can he do it, he will do it. This is God's guarantee. You can confess your sins with confidence in the holy character and amazing grace of God. Confess with confidence in God's holy character. There are two attributes of God affirmed in verse 9. He is faithful and just. To say God is faithful means he's always there. Only God is faithful. The model of the U.S. Marines is Semper Fidelis or Semper, Semper Fi, shortened, always faithful. That's a noble aspiration for human beings, but absolutely impossible to reach. Only God is always faithful. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassions never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
God is always faithful. You know what that means? It means he always keeps his word. It means you can always count on God to do just what he said. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Faithful is he who has called you who will surely do it. God is faithful. But not only is he faithful, he's just. The justice of God means this. He judges by a righteous standard. Oh, that's bad news. It means he doesn't accept rationalizations, justifications, excuses, comparisons. He doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't do what we do. You know what we do. We compare ourselves to other people. To justify ourselves. But God judges on the basis of his own righteous character. That is the bad news. But here it is presented as good news. It means somehow God has figured out a way to pour out his love without violating his holiness. How in the world does he do it? I'm glad you asked. That's why I love preaching to y'all. Y'all ask all the right questions. Drop down to chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John, where John says, My little children... I write these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Listen, a whole theology of sin for the Christian life can be taught right from 1 John 2 and 1. The two things you need to know about sin are right in that verse. Here's the first thing John says you need to know about sin. Don't do it. All right. We about to have a touch your neighbor moment. Touch your neighbor and tell them, don't do it. (laughs) But look at what the rest of the verse says. Look at what the rest of the verse says. Listen. If you do it. We have an advocate with the father. Lord, help me tonight. That word advocate is one who comes alongside the accused to speak on his behalf. He's a defense attorney. And the text says, if you have trusted in Jesus, when you sin, you don't have to stand before God making excuses, comparing yourself, rationalizing your mistake. You can stand there and keep your mouth shut because your defense attorney will speak on your behalf. He's your advocate. He gets you off the hook by arguing against double jeopardy. He said, no, no, no. The accuser of the brother, Revelation 12 and 10 says, Satan is the accuser of the brothers. And there I am standing for God, asking God to help me today, give me strength today. And the accuser is standing there saying, Lord, your rules. These ain't my rules. Your rules say sin must be punished. You can't deal with sin. And HB is a sinner. Did you hear what he said? Did you see what he did? Do you know what he was thinking? Your rules. I didn't make the rules. Your rules say his sin must be punished. Oh, and I can't say nothing because I am guilty. But my defense attorney says to the judge I move that the case be dismissed uh, uh, wait 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 he did it we got the evidence but my lawyer says I move that the case be dismissed why because that sin has already been paid for 
Y'all not listening to me. It's already been paid for. And the accuser of the brother says, if it's been paid for, what's the proof? And then my lawyer stops talking and starts showing his demonstrative evidence. He said, look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. Y'all ain't in here with me tonight. I got to quit. Before I get too far down the road. If you trusted in Christ, you can count on God because he's faithful and just to forgive us. You know what forgive means? It means to send away. I'm carrying a burden of guilt that's going to crush me down to hell. But when you run to the cross and trust in Jesus, God lifts the burden of guilt and sends it away. How far? Glad you asked. Psalm 103 verse 12 says he sends it as far as the east is from the west. You know, if you keep going north, you'll hit the north pole and no longer be going north. You'll be going south. But if you go east, you just keep going east and never run in the west. When, when people forgive you, they say they'll forgive you, but they'll keep throwing it in your face. But when God forgives you, he sends your sins away as far as the east is from the west. He'll forgive. I, I sure feel like stopping there and shouting. But there's one more term. Because listen, I don't deserve forgiveness. I deserve punishment, wrath, judgment, condemnation, fury but if I just tell God like it is he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin look at your Bible one more time and I'm done so you'll know I'm not making it up forgiveness by itself is too much for me to ask for God gives it but he don't stop there the God who forgives also Darlene. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, thank you, Jesus. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He won't just forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll cleanse you. That word cleanse is used in the gospel for God and Christ dealing with leprosy. God healed a lot of sickness. Christ healed a lot of sickness, but when he healed sickness, it, 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 they used the word heal except for leprosy. Doesn't say in scripture he, Jesus healed leprosy. It says he, he, he cleansed it. Leprosy was the AIDS of its day. And it was a picture of sin. Debilitating, painful, fatal, and contagious. But Jesus, who can cleanse leprosy, can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In his book, Rebuilding Your Broken World, Gordon McDonald writes that when he was a boy, he's playing in the living room and broke his parents' precious lamp, knocking it over and cracking the ceramic shaft. But he picked it up and put it on the table and turned it around so his parents couldn't see the break. He thought he got away with it, but even though he, he thinks he has hidden his sin, he's walking around every day in worry, doubt, and fear because he knows any day now, mama's going to come a cleaning and find out his mistake. She did. 
She called him in and asked him, did you do this? And now at the moment of truth, he confesses it. He was shocked that she didn't say anything. She just took the lamp in the kitchen. And McDonald said she got out her super glue. And she glued the broken pieces back in place. And when it dried, she put the lamp back at its place and it served its purpose for years to come. I'm talking to somebody here tonight. You're living daily in worry, doubt, and fear because you're trying to hide your mistakes from God. Tonight, as we end the year, I just want to tell you, show him what you've done. He doesn't have super glue, but he's got amazing grace. And he's able to put the broken pieces of your life back together. Again, I better quit now before I shout. God be praised for his word. Stand with me. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight, and God bless.